Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, week nine, film study with Ken McCusick. The Ravens just lost yesterday, 20-23 to in Tennessee to the Titans in a game that, depending on what uh, angle you're coming from, it's a different way you're going to call it and different way that you're going to take away from it. So we're going to get Ken McCusick and look at it from the uh, Ravens' perspective. Ken McCusick, how are you doing today? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I am I'm doing better than uh, John Harbaugh and... Uh, Marty Mornaweg and Dean Pease today. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, tough loss, and obviously one with significant playoff implications. We'll get to that a little later. 
but uh, one that I hope is not the end of the Ravens season. Yeah, uh, you. It's a, it's a, it, well, it's just it's never good to go into the bye week with a loss. No matter how you're standing, you don't want to go into that extra time off with a memory like this week. That's right. It hurts. It hurts definitely as a fan to sit around for two weeks. And, you know, in some ways you're happy that the, the bye week is here. You can forget about football for a week because things are bad. But on the other hand, the, the Ravens really need the bye week in terms of getting a lot of people healthy. Now you can add Ronnie Stanley to that list after the shoulder injury he had in the game. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is coming at a good time, but it's after a bad event, and that's not what we want. That's just what you're getting at. Right. So the Titans had their bye last week. So they came into this fresh with uh, two weeks to prepare for the Ravens. Um, so Yeah, and they showed it. Yeah, so they were definitely prepared. I was a little concerned for the Ravens coming into the game with a mobile quarterback they'd have to, be, have to stop. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been a, a constant issue for them to have to stop those guys. Uh, Mariota, his mobility didn't really show up in too many ways in this game. He just had a lot of time to throw the ball. And, you know, Tennessee, I think the Tennessee fans will fairly look at this game and say, boy, we came off the bye and we leaned on a team that was maybe a little more tired. Now, the Ravens came off a mini-bye. They played on Thursday night. Right. We they go against the Dolphins and they game knocked the crap out of them. So it's not like they should be really uh, hurting too much in this game. But you look at the third play of the game where Tennessee ran their starting cornerback, Adoree Jackson, that's a cornerback, for 20 yards. And it was 20 yards before he was touched. So that's a well-schemed, well-blocked play. You know, it led to that first field goal in the end. Um, did a very good job with that. They did an extremely good job shutting off pressure up the middle. And then when I look at, at, at the winning the game with that final game-sealing touchdown from Tennessee's perspective, I saw a team with a three-point lead that turned to the pass again when a lot of teams would have gotten conservative, ran the ball, and tried to let their defense win the game, which they looked altogether capable of doing. But Mariota threw six of nine passes on that drive, and they just passed them right down the field. The Ravens couldn't do anything about it. And, uh, and that, unfortunately, was the game. Ravens fans... They're going to think of this game a little differently, aren't they, Josh? Yeah, I mean, we're going to look at, uh, besides, I mean, we'll get to it on the offensive, but I look at this game as Bashard Perriman's nothing game and uh, shows that he did nothing. But I think today we need to look at there's some big plays where the it seemed like the refs hurt the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think it's really came down. There were three change of possession calls that the 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 officials made in one game against the Ravens. That's unusual. So if you look at this, you remember the shanked punt by Cook. Well, first of all, he had a good punt the play before that got backed off by Bowser's penalty. That wasn't right. good. But but the play before that was a third and two attempt. And on that third and two attempt, Jarrell Casey, who's a very dominant defensive lineman for Tennessee, jumped off sides very clearly. He was trying to step back, didn't get it done. Jensen snapped the ball, no flag. And then Collins came up short on third and two. Uh, the Ravens should have retained possession on an offsides call there. Of course, they, they, they have the long punt, then they have the shank punt. Tennessee's in, in business at the 26-yard line instead of the Ravens still being in business around the uh, 19 or something. And, uh, and that was that. So that was one of the three. The second, uh, the, the second I'm guessing you're going to go with the, the flop that I haven't seen in a while because I don't watch soccer. There but you the go. Flop by 
uh, Mariota when uh, Zadarius Smith slowed down his pace and bumped him just for a second. Yeah, I mean, I, I almost, I, I've looked at it from a couple different angles. He definitely kind of put his shoulder into him, but it almost looked like he put his shoulder into him rather than put his hand on him. He certainly didn't use his hand. A referee, obviously very sensitive to the flag, watched Mariota go down. Mariota must have sold it very well, but uh, boy, looked like a flop to me from where I was sitting. And, and you know, it's the kind of thing, they ought to really give the quarterback a message once in a while too, and and throw a flag for flopping. Maybe not even the quarterback; could be a wide receiver, whoever it is, for flopping on the sideline on a play like that. But uh, this, this it, is a quarterback league; they're doing anything they can do to protect the quarterback, and quarterbacks know that and take advantage of that. Okay, so throw it on a wide receiver if you have to do that. You know, don't don't give the defense another chance to think they can take a free shot at a quarterback, but throw it on a wide receiver if they flop like that, and just don't call this one. Or or even uh, the fact that. It wasn't really that late of a hit. It wasn't a soft hit. He was still in mm-hmm. the grass. He didn't go out of bounds until he flopped out of bounds. That's right. Yeah, I, mean, I went to a to a seminar I can remember on um, sexual harassment at work, and wasn't I wasn't singled out. Everybody had to go to the seminar. Sure, that's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, that's what they all say, right? <laughs> but anyway, everyone did have to go to the seminar. And one of the things they said, one of the things that, about sexual harassment is a pattern of behavior shows up. Well. Zedaria Smith has a rap sheet. He has four roughing the passer penalties now in the last 15 games, and he needs a talking to. He's got to change his behavior. I thought he should have been flagged on the big Judon body slam a couple of weeks ago on the running back. Do you remember that one? Yeah. I think it was, but, against, I think it was against Miami, yeah. Yeah, but I, my opinion is that he saved the guy's life because it was going to be a full <laughs> slam down on the head if Zedaria Smith didn't come down it and get involved. Okay, well, anyway, whatever, whatever you think, Zaria Smith is a player who's had some control issues on the field, and he really needs a talking to because a lot of his value in the league is going to be determined over the course of the rest of the season and next season, which will be his fourth, and determine whether or not he actually plays for some money in this league or whether he's a guy that hangs on for a couple more years and then he's done. All right, so, I'm uh, putting Zaria Smith in the Ken McCusick doghouse. He's in the he's in the watch he's on the watch list. I I try not to have a dog doghouse. <laughs> the 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 third thing, the third play which turned the game around, of course, was the second Allen crawl over the bodies in the World War One battlefield scene that he got the second first down on, uh, where he probably got a fifteen to eighteen inch miss spot. On a play, he came up short by about four or five inches. For by by the uh, right. by the look of the chains, so it, it was a bad call, and it was a classic one where you had to put together the two views. The end zone showed clearly that his legs or elbows, neither one of them, touched the ground, and the side view is the one the linesman had when they ran in from both sides and both had him at at first down distance. Right. So. I don't know how the ball got respotted, you know, 15, eight inches, 15 or 18 inches back because it's almost half a yard. But it was one of those things that I'm just I, I'm flabbergasted. And they got it wrong twice in the same game. The first time they reversed it on the challenge. The second time they didn't. And that was one of the plays that cost the Ravens a game. Clearly they were in field goal range. They were also within touchdown range at that point. Add up the total cost of these three, you're north of seven points, I think. So it was an ugly, ugly officiated game. Yeah, the worst the worst part about that call was that it was the second time it happened. Right. That that you you made that mistake not once but twice. Mhm. Um so yeah, you can add up all those mistakes and say yeah, in, in a 3-point game that those mistakes matter. 
Yeah. I'm still going to blame Brashard Perryman, but I'm okay with blaming the refs as well, if you want to go that route. <laughs> no, well, you're fair, you're fair to do that. And we'll talk about Perryman a little in the offensive show because it can't continue in the same way it has so far. So uh, definitely something needs to be done. Right. Now, uh, before game, they were talking about the defensive line and the defensive line being thin. Uh, Pierce was, was sick, I guess, all week, so he didn't even get to practice except some limited practice on Friday. And that's, then he didn't even right. play much on Sunday. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I haven't seen anything about this in the media yet, but it was it was the story on the Ravens' defense as a whole, in my opinion, and, and definitely on the defensive line, is Pierce, who was critical to the Ravens' run defense and also the pass defense, started, played seven snaps over the first two drives, and then he sat down for the rest of the game. Now... A few things made this worse. Now, they, they sat Bronson Kafusi and they could have had him healthy. But for the second straight week, he sat while some other unhealthy players were, were active. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about the doghouse. They, they obviously think they don't need the extra defensive linemen. They had Patrick Ricard available, but they were playing him a lot on offense. And so they have not used him in the last two weeks on defense to take any snaps. Uh, so, so that's you know would have been another option. So the remaining snap load got heavily concentrated into Williams and Henry. Now that's important because the Ravens end up averaging 2.64 defensive linemen per play. That's their second highest average of the season. They had a 2.67 in one of the other games. What that means is they were playing almost all the standard defense with four defensive backs. Um, four linebackers, and three defensive linemen. They played a little bit of dime, and they played a little bit of nickel, but basically they played mostly the standard defense. And when you have to have three defensive linemen on every play, and you only have four available total, that doesn't leave very much rotation uh, capability. Davis and Wormley split some snaps, but Henry was on all but one snap after those first two series, and that was 41 snaps for him, and he needs to be rested because he's the primary defensive line pass rusher. He's the Jernigan, the new Jernigan from last year, the guy who needs to be able to individually beat or double team or at least split blocks and force the double team and get some shoulders turned on that pass rush. So that hurt the, the pass rush a lot. The entire game, now remember, Mariota dropped back 31 times in this game. The, the interior defensive line, which is on for most of those snaps and with two-plus of them, uh, got only one pressure event the entire game, and that was on the fumbled snap where Carl Davis came in and made the final cleanup play on that. Not really a pressure on his part. Suggs got the pressure initially, but because Carl Davis got a share of the sack, that's a pressure event. That's the only time they got any sort of pressure from the inside. All their other pressure came from the, the uh, edge guys. Does that inside pressure come just you? You are you blaming on that on on tired guys out there overworked for this game? Yeah, it's it's a huge factor in in this. Tennessee's got a big physical offensive line, and, and I'm not saying they didn't play a good hand in that in preventing that uh, uh, pressure. But on the other hand, when you're out there every single snap, it becomes harder and harder to do that. And the, I don't know, you know, you, you you can watch the Ravens' offense and the lack of alacrity in the final four-minute drive that they had to finally score a touchdown to lead up to the field onside kick. Tennessee was able to get to the line of scrimmage in the no huddle in no time at all, all the way through the game, whenever they wanted to. And they had long stretches of ample time and space plays. In particular, on that final drive, I think they had something like uh, five out of six ample time and space on that drive. I'm going to look at that here for for a second. For the entire game, out of the 31 dropbacks, 
Right. We, they had 21 ample time and space. That's right. two thirds. That's two thirds. Some quick, easy math is two thirds of the yeah. time. Mariota had plenty of time to do what he wanted with the ball. That's right, and it, and it really hurt. Obviously, it very much hurt on the final touchdown pass, which we'll talk about in a little bit about about Kennedy. But uh, five out of six on the final drive when they when they passed their way right up the field. So it was ugly, and uh, and that was in my mind the reason. And to, to me, the defensive line and their inability to get pressure, which is largely due to the overworked nature. Now there were only fifty snaps in this game. There were only fifty, but it's not. It, Fifty defensive snaps is nothing. They had two that were kneels at the end. Those don't count, so it cuts it down to fifty. Right. Um, it's not just the fact the total number of snaps to play. It's how many you're forced to play in a row. So when you have a series where you have to play seven or eight or nine in a row, as they did on that final drive, uh, it made it more difficult for them to get any pressure. All right. So no interior pressure. Guys are worn out. Um, was was Dean Pease? Was he scared of Mariota? To the point that there was nothing real creative, only only two blitzes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, only two deceptive blitzes or de- right, deceptive, deceptive pass rushes, I should say, the entire game. And you're right. Also, only two individual blitzers from off the line of scrimmage. So they had Kennedy blitz off the the slot once, and they had Mosley blitz from linebacker when he wasn't in the A gap uh, once. But those are the only two times. And they, the two deceptive blitzes were a mix of other things. But the one, of, the one deceptive blitz, they got a quarterback hit and an incomplete pass. The other went for a quick 10-yard gain. That was midway through the third quarter. But you know, they had enough success on those plays to try to get the additional variability. And if you think about it, getting a quarterback hit and a 10-yard gain, that's, an, that's okay. The defense can alternate those kind of plays and still, gets, still stop the team eventually if they're doing that kind of thing. So uh, it's something that they, uh, uh, they should have tried for more pressure, in my opinion, in this game and, and didn't do it. Okay. Um, and that's something that, I don't know, I mean, we saw last week, it seems like forever ago, but when uh, we had that Thursday night game against Miami, they did put a little more pressure on. They did get a little creative, and it worked in their favor. It seemed like um, this week they went back to the boring defense. Well, no, nobody was tired last week because they were they were rotated in very well. So it's, okay. I, I would put it more on that than anything else. I, I'm I'm trying to think back right now, and I don't have it in front of me to uh, what the Ravens did as far as deceptive blitzes last week or how they rushed the quarterback by uh, by play. I don't have it right in front of me. I'm sorry about that. No, no problem. Um, I'm just trying to figure out. I'm trying to you know. I'm trying to figure out in my head. A sure. game like making a, how a team goes from the game at home with Miami to this game in Tennessee. Yeah, I mean that, that's a good question. They did. I, I, okay, it's coming back to me now. They they did get more pressure last week. Of course, they dropped back forty seven times. Miami did in that game and only had one hundred and fifty one yards passing for three point two average per play. When they rushed six or seven, they had negative yards on those plays on average, including one sack. So everything worked last week against Miami, but. Last week against Miami, nobody played more than 38 snaps. Nobody played a bunch of snaps in a row. Um, you know, they, they right. even though, you know. Anyway. So, all right, so you're putting it big on that thin defensive line and, and rest and, and being able to rotate guys in and out. Mm-hmm. Now, they did get three sacks. They did get three sacks, but that kind of – one of the sacks resulted from Mariota being tripped by the right guard. So Klein stepped on his foot. 
he fell down, and then they chased him down eventually for a big sack. But that's not really a sack on your for your pass rush. That's a sack that was created by their own line of scrimmage. Gotcha. All right, uh, well, let's get to something fun. And Maurice Kennedy, we got to see him for the first time. Yeah, so this is real exciting. So we go back to, to OTAs, and, and Kennedy was inserted on an emergency basis at slot corner because they really didn't have anybody else. And they stuck him in there when Tavon Young went down, and he had three interceptions at slot corner on his first day at practice. Didn't even have the full day because Tavon was in there long enough to get hurt anyway. Uh, so that was exciting. And now Kennedy got hurt before the season started in camp after having a pretty darn good uh, camp. But they put him on IR with the intention to bring him back, and they did this week. Um, and he got his first nine snaps. A little surprisingly, he stayed in the slot because I thought, you know, they've got multiple uses for this guy. But he's a tall corner, uh, got prototypical outside corner size. Uh, he also has some experience playing safety, and obviously that's a place where the Ravens have had some problems. So if you put Marcus, uh, sorry, uh, Maurice Kennedy in as a safety, maybe he helps the back end. You can move Jefferson up in the box to do some other things or cover the tight end. But uh, anyway, they kept him at slot corner, and so all of a sudden there's this long-haired, Lardarius Webb-looking guy at slot corner, you know, the Lardarius Webb of six years ago. Anyway, and, uh, and he, he looked pretty good in this game. He covered Decker a lot. Um, you know, one of the questions was, is it, is it a good size matchup for Decker? Because Decker's a slower slot receiver, clearly, who plays more like a tight end in terms of his size. But uh, he covered him effectively in the game, and I thought, in general, he played very well. Now, out on the website, I, I'm going to go over a couple of these plays, but out on the website, I've got a play-by-play accounting for this. Okay. My hope in writing this is that people will go to NFL Game Pass Bring up the plays individually where Kennedy is on the field. Take a look at what he's doing. You can see if I'm if 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 I'm seeing the, if you're seeing the same things as I am, or you can just watch it for yourself just to see how Kennedy's playing. You don't have to take any of my word for it. Just go to the go to the specific plays involved. And uh, I thought he looked very good in the game. He blitzed once, as we mentioned earlier. Um, he had real nice coverage on uh, an underneath underneath coverage on a bracket that was intercepted by Weddle. He had another nice peel-off coverage where he ran to the sideline to get underneath and somehow be either some small amount of contact with the ball or waving his hand around, uh, he induced a drop out of Matthews by the sideline that would have been a first down. So that was a nice one. Um, and then, unfortunately, on the game's final play, or the, or the final meaningful play for Tennessee anyway, they had third and three at the 11-yard line. Ravens had a chance to shut them down, force a field goal. Tennessee would have been still only up six with four four minutes to go, and the Ravens would have had a chance to score a touchdown and take the lead. Maurice had Decker uh, as one of Twins' right, and he pressed very hard on Decker. Now, you know what press coverage is. You get your hands on that receiver, and you do try and disrupt the route. Well, this was more than that. It's almost like he was blocking Decker coming out of the, off the line of scrimmage, and he held him very hard for, for that. Then he had to release him. Mariota rolled right on that play. And then he took two steps back to the left. The whole field, all 11 defenders except for Patrick Oso and, uh, and he uh, were covering Decker and trailing. But uh, Mariota was able to float the ball easily out to the empty left side of the field. Decker ran underneath it for the winning touchdown. So it was what it was. Yeah, um, so that's exciting. And that's something that I can keep watching for as the uh, 
second half of the season gets here, and hopefully we'll see. Do you think he'll stay in that slot, or do you think that was a week one, get your feet wet, get back in shape, and then? Yeah. So it's a great question because they, they have such a wealth of corners, it's hard to figure out what they do. They obviously want Kennedy in there for special teams. Uh, Jalen Hill was also active, and he, he had an impressive debut against Minnesota. I thought he's more of the prototype smaller, easier change of direction, probably every bit as fast as Kennedy, slot corner. Um, but he didn't play any snaps versus the right. Titans. That was my next question for you is, why didn't we see Hill and we barely saw Webb on Sunday? That's right. Well, Webb only played four snaps, three snaps on the first two drives, and only one more uh, came in early in the second half. And, and otherwise, Kennedy played all the slot snaps. Now, when I say all the slot snaps, it's not that many. There were only... Uh, what, 14, 15 slot snaps in the entire game. So uh, that's not very much. So uh, it, it, there was a, there's a shortage of them. Kennedy basically got them all this week. We'll see what happens in the future. And maybe, as one of the readers has suggested, we'll get to his talk in Mailbag, is, is that uh, it just was a good size and shape matchup versus Decker. The Decker being a, a bigger, taller, more physical, and probably slower receiver was a better matchup for Kennedy. Okay, and of course with the bye week coming up, that gives them a good chance to really figure out where to use them for the second half. Yeah, and maybe maybe figure out how to use Webb and Jefferson a little differently as well. Right, yeah. Um, definitely need something to get a little more out of Jefferson. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to get into that second half, and I want to kind of – we talked a couple weeks ago about how we had to beat Miami and beat Tennessee to really have a chance in these playoffs – the NFL is down this year. The Ravens, even at four and five, are still second best in their division. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that. But let's first finish going through this game, and let's go with some individual players like we normally do. Let's go through the offensive line, um, and let's start with Henry. Or defensive line, sorry. The defensive line, sure. Uh, well, Willie Henry he had a game as kind of disguised. He had four tackles, but he didn't have a pressure event. And Willie Henry... Uh, Whatever they can get from him in terms of run defense, however, whatever he can perform there, he should only really be doing on an emergency basis. Willie Henry is the, the team's creative pass rush specialist defensive lineman. That's what they need to use him for, and that's what he's had success at so far. So seeing him in that ready snaps was really bad. The first two snap, first two uh, series of the game, he was in there just in the standard uh, plays you'd expect. So Henry came in on third and five. The first series came in on third and 13. The second series actually came in on third and 12. The third series, I'm looking at the Miami game, damn it. Okay, so <laughs> see, that's exactly how you're supposed to play Henry. Okay, so this game, the first series he came in third and six. The second series he came in third and eight. And then beyond, after that, he played every single snap but one. For the remainder of the game, and and that's a that's a, uh, a difference in uh, in usage that just it doesn't work. They needed Willie Henry fresh and being part of their pass rush. And I guess you had a similar thing going on with Brendan Williams then, who played forty snaps. Yeah, so, so he played forty snaps, and he, first of all, he wasn't really that effective as a run defender in this game because only one of his three tackles was. A, a win by the PFF or Football Outsiders definition. I think one of them calls it a stuff, and the other calls it a stop. But whatever you call it, you're, it only one of the three was a was a defensive win. He didn't generate any pressure in 21 snaps as a pass rusher. His pass rush, particularly on first and second down, was one of the things I thought the Ravens really needed back to make to, to have a good chance to get some of that uh, defensive magic from the first two games back for the rest of the season. But so far, since he's come back, he really hasn't put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. 
Okay. Um, my guy, Bowser, he's back in the doghouse, right? Yeah, it appears so. So we talked a little bit before, but he had an illegal formation penalty on that negated Cook's 56-yard yeah. punt. And that great tackle by Moore. I mean, whatever you think of Moore as a receiver, and he's been up and down, obviously, and, and mostly down. He's been a great special teams player. And, and that wouldn't be the end of the world to use a, a fourth-round pick on a special teams player who was really good. Say so, so he's made a number of plays, and that boy, that tackle was so beautiful. And then it got it got yeah, called back by the Bowser. It, it was a great tackle with the uh, where he hit him right as he was grabbing control of that ball. So mm-hmm. it's the type of tackle that sometimes you get the chance of that ball to pop out and stuff. Yep. So it was uh, a great tackle and really good to see on a uh, on special teams. Um, Absolutely, uh, Marlon Humphrey. He didn't play a whole lot. Are we gonna? He's but he's been good when he's out there. Or am yeah, I seeing I mean, the wrong thing. You're seeing exactly the right thing. So he's 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 out there for 18 snaps against Tennessee. He broke up a slant that was intended for Corey Davis. Corey Davis, if you if you think back, was a guy that a lot of people wanted the Ravens to get. He wasn't still around when they picked, but he was a guy that they would have hoped they they got. But anyway, Humphrey denied a third and five to Davis on a slant that is almost never broken up. It's very difficult for a corner to play that well enough that he doesn't get either beaten by speed to the inside or beaten by the size of the body of the wide receiver. But Humphrey somehow stayed right on the guy's back, broke up the ball, ball popped in the air, nearly intercepted by Carr, who made a nice dive at it. Um, but it, but it was one of those plays that, that, you know, it should have been a first down, but instead it was almost an interception. So that's a really nice turnaround on that. The next drive, very next drive, Humphrey had um, coverage on Smith in the end zone, very on the left side. They didn't credit a PD on that play, but he was there. He distracted Smith, and then he made contact with him just as the ball was getting away from him. Could have been a PD on the play, but anyway, it was good defense for him to not allow that touchdown catch. And uh, they have just got a wealth of cornerbacks right now, as well as Carr has played, I really believe this is probably a one-year deal he's on at this point, that they're, they're not going to want to spend $6 million for another outside corner when they've got Marlon and they've got Maurice Kennedy and they've got Tavon Young back and they've got Jalen Hill. I mean, that's just a lot of youth, not to mention Jimmy Smith. Right, then that's exciting. And yeah, Jimmy Smith, again, had a, had another good game. He seems, uh, he seems to really step as, as the leader back there. Yeah, I mean, when he's on the field, he's fantastic. Unfortunately, when he's not on the field, the Ravens still have a good cornerback out there in Marlon Humphrey. But when he's on the field, uh, he allowed a 29-yard pass, or at least you could say he allowed a 29-yard pass on the first play of the game. So that was a, that was that pass to Matthews that went up the left sideline. The Ravens were actually playing a, a zone defense there where, where Smith was the underneath guy and Weddle should have had the coverage over the top. I, I noticed that PFF, uh, tagged him with that pass, which of course completely turns around his passer rating against for the season because he's, his passer rating for the game is 86.3 with it, 56.3 if you don't if you don't credit it to him. He only gave up two of four for 12 yards otherwise. So it's it's one of these plays where um, you know it would be nice if you could maybe give him half a charge or no charge on that, but giving him the whole charge seems quite unfair. And uh, it was what it was. I thought he played very well in the game. He, he On the very first play of the Titans game-winning drive, the Ravens had their best chance to stop them and, and win the game. And that was Jimmy Smith getting a hand on a slant pass, popped it up in the air against Matthews. It had interception potential. It didn't get quite high enough for Judon to make the play on it, but uh, that, that uh, could have ended the, the 
Titans game-winning drive right there. All right. All right. Now, big picture. We're going into the bye at 4-5. and five. We really needed this Tennessee win to really think we had a shot at the uh, postseason, the playoffs. After the bye, we've got the Packers, the Texans, the Lions, the Steelers, Browns, and Colts. Does this team have any chance of, of making the playoffs? Well, the Packers are without uh, Aaron Rodgers. So they've got another guy named Brett back there, but it's not far. Okay, it's it's uh, he's on TV tonight, by the way, if you're watching the game. And I understand I, didn't, I haven't watched yet that he's, he's looking pretty good so far. Uh, none of those games are unwinnable by the Ravens. They can win that game at, at Green Bay, and they could they could be favored in every game except for Pittsburgh. At Pittsburgh, they won't be favored in that game. So uh, you know, it's certainly it's a set of games where they could put on a run, go five and two, uh, five and two. It would get them to nine and seven. They would be right on the cusp of making the playoffs. As for that, they're going to have to root that Buffalo and Tennessee lose some football games, and that Jacksonville wins the South. I think that's their best chance probably to get in. Um, but uh, the other the other possibility is they go six and one and end up ten and six, and that would do it. I think. I don't think there's anybody else that will catch the Ravens. At nine and seven, though, besides Buffalo and Tennessee, right? And ten- Tennessee's got a weaker uh, division, which helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't. I guess if we were looking back even three weeks ago, there's no way we would have said the Ravens can go and win in in Green Bay. So the fact that that door is now an open option is helpful, right? Right, it is. And, you know, the Ravens' leg up on the other teams in the AFC is that they've lost two NFC games so far. But now they kind of need to win against the Lions at home and against the Packers on the road to get back in it. The big game they absolutely can't lose is they cannot lose to Houston at home. If they lose that game, it would be another AFC loss, and uh, that would just be be pretty awful. Yeah, I mean, clearly, right. Clearly they got to just win every week. Win every mm-hmm. week, and they got a shot. Um We'll see. This team has been very frustrating this year because you don't have confidence that they can't do it, and you don't have confidence, nearly any confidence, that they can do it. Mm-hmm. They're definitely uh, one of those teams that you wait and see what you got this week. Uh, let's get to the mailbag. And our first question is from Meteor Reed, who says, Any idea why, idea why there, there was less hill? Uh, is Kennedy a better matchup for Decker? Yeah, well, I think we covered a little bit about this earlier, and I'm sorry for, for short-circuiting your question, Media Read, but I think Kennedy was a better size matchup for Decker, and uh, I really hadn't thought of it until you put this question out there and I read it, so I give you all the credit for that one. Um, uh, as far as Les Hill, there were a limited number of total snaps to go around in this game. So the Ravens played uh, effectively, even with, when the... Um, uh, the Titans had three wide receivers on the field. They were playing a lot of four uh, DBs with Jefferson up in slot coverage. So in total, with five or six DBs on the field, there were only 14 snaps. That's just not a lot to go around. So nine of them went to Kennedy in this game. We went had four go to Webb, and one more went to Carr when they had Carr, Humphrey, and... Um, Jimmy Smith on the field for a play, so there just wasn't a lot to go around in this game. So I, if I were if I were Hill, I'd I'd hope they had a conversation with him before the game to say, hey, look, you're going to get your chance. We're going to try and make this happen. But right now, we think Kennedy's a good matchup for Decker this week. 
Right. Um, all right. Rob McDonald asks, how big of a loss was Zach Orr to the Ravens D this year? Yeah. I mean, he's hit on the other thing. The other part of that was he says uh, OSO is, is too small to stop the run and Correa is too, too often in the wrong spot. I think he's right about Correa. He's just he's shown he had too much trouble getting off blocks. And I would say his he does not likely have a future at inside linebacker. We'll see what they do with him next year. Uh, it's he's a he's a very puzzling case in terms of what you do because he'd be almost starting over to go to another position again. Uh, Owasu, I think you size is correctly the the the, the biggest problem for him. Now, Orr was not a lot bigger, uh, but Orr was I think faster and and more reckless certainly and more of a uh, gap shooter than uh, these guys was or did have similar problems in coverage that I, I think he was he was beaten a lot I saw PFF gave him a good grade last year in pass coverage but honestly my feeling about it was he was fairly well picked on regularly and uh, and this year more of that picking on is going to Mosley uh, but but the, the Ravens clearly miss or in terms of stopping the run and, and a lot of what's happened so far in terms of the, the, the run defense had they had Zach Orr, I think would have been less significant Right. Um, then we've got another one. This is a little offense-related, but Matt D. Simmons brings up something that's uh, – this is what I can get behind and uh, agree with this guy. Kubiak uh, possibly wants to come to return as an offensive coordinator. Surely the Ravens should be offering him whatever he wants. Hashtag bring back Kubiak. <laughs> now, this, right. is, this is in reference to the Jason Lacafora article – saying that Kubiak, close people close to Kubiak, saying Kubiak would probably be interested in coming back as an offensive coordinator in 2018. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, and do you think he's willing to come back in two weeks? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd love to have him back. One of Flacco's best years was 2014 when Kubiak was here, and, and uh, he, he was marvelous. I mean, it would just be... Uh, wonderful to get him back if you could. I think a lot of what Morningweg does has not worked with Flacco, but on the other hand, I think some of the things Roman does um, have been effective in terms of getting a lot out of a weak offensive line. So I'd like to see a Kubiak-Roman marriage to see what could be done with the offense with those two. Yeah, um, this article came out yesterday by Jake and Lockenfora. I would be uh, surprised if Steve Bashotti did not pick up the phone call last night to follow <laughs> up with what's going on with and how serious are you because uh, with all the different coordinators that Flacco has had, Kubiak and him clicked. And, yeah, and they, they were the best. And he was, he, 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 Flacco doesn't show a lot, but there's a there's like some quarterbacks, he will occasionally say something that will get himself in trouble on the sidelines more than in public about the about the about his relationship with a coach, but he he clearly had a very troubled relationship with Cameron Cameron by the time that was over, um, and and the other coordinators he just Zorn and others I mean, just it's just not clear that the the relationship worked either. So uh, I think he did work with Kubiak, and I think he could work again with Kubiak. I'd love to see it. Zorn was just a quarterback coach, right? He wasn't an offensive coordinator, was he? I th I think you're right, but yes. All right. I, I, I mean, he's not, he's not in football anymore. <laughs> I, I knew that. He was a strange guy. Um, all right, Ken. Well, the bye week gives us plenty of time to talk Ravens, to read about Ravens. So now we're going to point everyone to Russell Street Report to go over there and read uh, 
have some fun with your writing and read the the uh, Kennedy breakdown and go into the NFL Game Pass and follow your notes on Russell Street Report and really look and uh, watch this guy have a really good first game. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, and and I want to challenge the the viewers. We'll talk about other plugs we're going to do in a second here, but I want to challenge the the listeners, I should say, to do this. Try and break down the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball, because Josh and I are going to try and do this later this week, into five categories. Okay, so your five categories are this. A player is a young star. So that's a player on their first contract who's who's contributing to the team. Second group are the uh, potentials. So those are guys that have to be on their first contract still, but have a potential to provide above cap value to your team in the future. So there's a lot of younger guys fit into that category. The third thing are vet players who are performing at expectation. Fourth category is cap value concerns. So you might put Joe Flacco into that that category right now. There's certainly others that would go in as well. Um, right. And then there's there's the fifth level is transitional players who there's no expectation the player will be around next year for any reason. So that's, okay. those are the five categories. I want you to do that just can, for the defense, and you I and I add, will talk about this okay. later this week. Can I add a sixth category of the trash sure. can? And that's where I'm going to put Richard <laughs> Perryman. Yes, he belongs in the transitional category if you believe believe that's really <laughs> the status quo. Transitional means he transitions to another team. I'm just putting him in a nice trash can where he's out of the NFL. I, I believe one player that escaped the trash can or the transitional tag was a transitional tag's an actual thing, but that's funny. But the, the transition tag that I, that I had in there was Ryan Jensen emerged as a yeah, young man. star performer from the from the transitional okay. group. So. Well, that's exciting because I like Ryan Jensen. So you got me convinced right. there. All right. So if follow my work, otherwise, if you if if you'll go to at Film Study Ravens and follow me. Uh, no, no hashtags or pound size involved. Just had film study Ravens. Josh, tell them about your show. Uh, Section three thirty six, and this week, MLB free agency started. So, what do the Orioles have to do? They got to add pitching and pitching and pitching and pitching and pitching. And uh, so, Wade Miley, they're going to make a move on him probably in free agency, and because they terminate his contract, but they probably want to go back with a beautiful offer for him that's even more. Every podcast <laughs> I do, I am making one pronounce pronouncement. The Orioles must sign Alex Cobb. Alex Cobb, okay. And they need to do it immediately, and none of this wait till February. So don't worry. I mean, the the Dodgers or Phillies or Yankees will sign him in about two weeks, and then I'm going to have to find a new guy. But I've right. been mentioning Alex Cobb for weeks. I'm going to continue. Alex Cobb is the guy for the Orioles. Uh, I mean, free agent pitchers don't tend to work out. I mean, look at what the Dodgers just got out of price in the first year. Uh for two hundred seventeen million. That's why you want Alex Cobb because he's on the Tampa Bay Rays. He pitches in the AL East. There's no experiment there. He knows how to face an AL East team. All right. Well, Price pitched in the AL East too, though. Yeah, but he—they pulled him out of the AL East. Well, no. Sure. Sure. <laughs> okay. You can. I mean, pit, pitching's hard. What I don't want is right. a National League to American League experiment. I don't want Ubaldo. Two point. Okay, that's fair enough. So I am Alex Cobb's my guy. So we talk about that um, and some other things going on with uh, Major League Baseball as we line up for the offseason now that the World Series has passed. 99 days till pitchers and catchers report. Wow. Okay, do you sing a little song? 99 uh, days till pitchers and catchers report. No, we, we, <laughs> we pray that the Ravens start winning so there's something else to watch and we're not just all sitting around in Baltimore uh, waiting for winter to pass. 
Yeah, I mean, you, the last the worst thing we can we can ask is is for being the Browns' position in December, where you're worrying about whether the other zero and nine team is going to win a game and, and possibly get you the number one pick. Right, right. I don't know why the Browns care about the number one pick. They, they, it hasn't worked for them yet. <laughs> so. And trade it, right. get more. <laughs> true, true, true. All right, Ken. Well, we will speak shortly and uh, break down the offense. Have a good night. If you have a family relying on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. That's where Policy Genius comes in. In minutes, Policy Genius could save you 50% or more simply by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. To save on life insurance and get protection for you and your family, head to policygenius.com today. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.